Welcome to the Psych 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Maxwell, and today I am so excited to be talking with Zoe Klein. Zoe, so glad to have you on the show. How have you been? Thank you for having me. This is really exciting to be on this podcast today. Yeah, I, I mean, you have a lot to share, and I want to make sure that we really hit a lot of good points, <laughs> which I'm sure we will. Yeah, absolutely. But so first, why don't you share with us how you got into counseling, how you got into the mental health field, and really how you ended up being where you are today. So I wanted to be in a field that gives people empowerment and autonomy in their lives. I think there's a lot of things that we go through that make us feel powerless or make us feel that we don't have agency and that we're not good enough. And I think especially in the digital age, that's even more important when there's, you know, Instagram after Instagram that can make us feel bad, can make us feel like we're not enough. And for me, medicine wasn't exactly the right fit. So I started off in education, but my preceptors at the time told me, Zoe, you're a therapist, um, you're a counselor, go, go back and get your MSW. So after a few years, I got my master's in social work and I'm, I'm really happy that I did. Wow, that's that's great. So you start off on the wrong field, wrong track, and you had some people to kind of bring you around and say, hey, why don't you try this out? Which is why it's so great to have people around you to help you out with those kinds of things. So as far as, so you're um, a counselor now, how long have you been doing that? So I graduated my social work degree in May 2017. So I am oh, wow. new to the field. I'm I'm in my first year of practice. So it's um it's been an interesting ride. I bet there's a lot. I bet there's a lot of learning. I know I, I learned a ton when I was first started doing everything. And you like you had a full education, so I'm sure that helped a lot. Um, I was learning about mental health on my own because. I didn't know where to, else to go. Um, so, so what you're doing right now is, um, I mean, I found you on Instagram uh, through a mutual friend um, who I've had on the podcast before. And I just loved what you were doing, how, what you were sharing, especially what you were talking about around um, eating disorders, body health, and just general fitness and wellness. I really liked your approach, which is why I reached out to you. Will you share with us about eating disorders specifically, um, what your experience have been with treating people, with what you've learned? And why don't we just start off with what are eating disorders specifically? So eating disorders are disturbing patterns in eating that affect your life over a variety of different spheres. So you are perhaps not able to eat in public because of the concern around food. You might skip meals. You might um, skip meals only to binge meaning eat food in excess qual- uh, quantities later but it's it's not something that happens once it's not a holiday meal or a birthday dinner it's mm-hmm. persistent disturbances in eating that make you anxious at work make you anxious at school and make you anxious in your ability to interact with others and succeed in environments where food and um in, in food intake is, is a requirement mm-hmm. and what is the usually the cause of this is there is it like other, like depression, anxiety, where it's, you know, bi- biological with a mix of situation? Um, what would you say? How, how is this caused? Well, there's a, there's a variety of biopsychosocial factors that can play into an eating disorder. It can be the way you grew up around food. It can be the fact that maybe you grew up in, um, in an unstable home financially. So you might hoard food because you're scared of not having anymore. Or you might have grown up in a home where it wasn't okay to have dessert or it wasn't okay to express your emotions and perhaps you do so. So your environment does play a huge role. I think that 
anxiety and depression can also be a precipitant, meaning that if you are in a situation where you're anxious, you might try to control your environment by restricting, or you might try to manage your feelings by eating food in excess and then feel mm -hmm. anxious about the fact that you've done so. So I think both of those things can interact together to cause an eating disorder, but also biologically, I think some people might be wired towards tendencies of food restriction, but usually it's tempered by um, psychological and social environmental factors. I see. Okay. So you would say definitely it's more situational than genetic. I, I, I would think so, because I think that the way that we're raised to think about food, the way that our family talks to us about food, the way that they themselves view their bodies, the way that we're taught through religion, we're taught, you know, in our communities to eat and what it means to be a healthy person really fundamentally impacts the way that we view food and then subsequently how we view ourselves and our health. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I know I've seen that um, with people I've talked to with, you know, teenagers um, who are just going through bad times and have fallen into this destructive pattern of eating disorder. Um, when we're talking about causes and would you say that you're talking about um, eating disorders as a coping mechanism, um, as a way to deal with anxiety or depression, do you see anxiety or depression maybe preceding eating disorders more often than not? Or, or do you think eating disorders can come around first um, and then maybe anxiety and depression come after that? Well, I think it can be both ways. Your eating disorder can give you anxiety and depression because you might not be able to socialize in a way that you want to as a result of your eating disorder, which would subsequently make you anxious. Or you might be somebody who is very anxious and wants to be, wants to be perfect or wants to set certain goals and you like to and and you're control and in controlling your environments, food becomes a way that you do so. So I think it can really go both ways. I see. And so so we've identified this. So people like anyone listening, um, you've heard what an eating disorder is, you know how it comes about, you know like all those nuances. But we don't just focus on just identifying problems. We like overcoming them here. So what are, what are some ways to overcome your eating disorders or maybe help a friend who has an eating disorder? Well, I personally suffered from binge eating disorder for probably most of my life until my early 20s, but it wasn't really until I became a clinician that I understood what I was experiencing. And I just thought that I was overweight and that I had lost a lot of weight, but I didn't realize that the whole way that I was dealing with food and desserts and um, any kind of specialty snack was very much indicative of, of binge eating disorder. And a lot of the time people just thought that, you know, I was someone that couldn't control myself or I was somebody that was Greek yeah. when instead I was somebody who needed help. And, you know, I did have to attend my own therapy to think about what is it about these foods that, produces this kind of reaction. So I think that if you see a friend and they might be eating in excess, it's really important to not immediately condemn them as some kind of, you know, greedy pig, bad person, and try to look at the underlying cause. But I think it's something that you have to do really gently. It's something that you have to do behind closed doors and really valuing that person's integrity and sit down with them and say, is everything okay? Can I help? Is something upsetting you? Because 
I think there were a majority of situations in my own life where I definitely wish that someone had said that to me instead of thinking that I was just some, you know, wild animal, let's say that, 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 that could yep. be contained. Yep. So don't shame, um, look for the underlying problem. You heard it straight from a counselor, right? Someone who's been educated, knows what they're talking about. Um, and when helping a friend reach out to them and talk to them and see if there's a problem going on. Um, when it comes to, um, therapy, I mean, obviously do you see people for eating disorders, um, in your, in your practice? So my practice is not strictly eating disorders, but it's definitely right. a specialty. So I, yep. a lot of the time I see individuals for other reasons, but they might also have an eating disorder. So, um, I see a variety of people that are in my office for, interpersonal or relationship reasons, but there's also a co-occurring binge eating disorder or a co-occurring um, disorder that resembles bulimia. And my role is treating the eating disorder, but also concurrently managing and supporting that issue to help them in both aspects of their life. I see. Yeah. So therapy, again, you know, you have this another tool. Um, and I know we need to respect patients' confidentiality, of course. I'm all for that. Um, but may, could you give us uh, some insight based on your experiences with helping people? What are some things that have really helped them that maybe we can take, that we can learn from and say, oh, maybe I could take this. This has worked for people. Maybe I could help this for myself or somebody that I know. Well, I think I think with, with eating disorders, um, particularly with um, those uh, those of us who struggle with binging, I think the best thing to do is to take the, I guess, you know, mystique out of foods as crazy as that sounds and have exposure therapy where you're able to sit with someone and have a cookie, a dessert, enjoy it, and then be able to stop before the point of psychological distress or mm -hmm. strategize with them situations that they can use when they're out and about and they want to be able to enjoy food and socialize with their friends um without feeling as though they're they're going overboard but i think truly it's looking at the underlying cause if you're restricting what are you feeling in the moment what what emotions are coming to mind if you're lonely if you're angry who can you reach out to if you're sad who can you go to for support what can you do for yourself it's seeing beyond those feelings of hunger or lack of hunger and thinking what what is this trying to tell me? And ultimately, where can I go from here? Nice. Okay. Yeah. So look for the signs and, you know, and yeah, so that's perfect. That's exactly, um, what, um, I was looking for. You uh, posted a, this quote on your Instagram that I want to reference. I think it re it's, I loved it. Like I saw this and I absolutely loved it. I think it was one of the first things I saw from you and it's talking about, it's, it's, it's kind of long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's talking about how, how can we call ourselves ugly when we don't really see ourselves? The only time we see ourselves is when we look in a mirror. But we don't see ourselves do anything else in our lives. We so um, I love that because we are terrible judges. I mean, honestly, like we're pretty bad judges of ourselves because we see all the bad stuff and we can, we just have a tendency to focus on that. So when we're talking about, I think, would you would you say it'd be accurate to say that seeing the beauty in yourself is a thing that could really help with eating disorders? Well, I think we have, as a society, a very one-dimensional form of beauty. We have the idea of a young, wise, 20-something yeah. girl that looks a certain way and a, you know, very muscular man that looks one way. And 
Mm-hmm. Any of us who deviate from that norm, we're very quick to thinking that there's something wrong with us. And I know that for me, I, I you know, I spent a lot of my life thinking that because I was sort of the quirky girl in a lot of social situations where I was the the funny person, but not necessarily the beautiful girl. And I think that we have to redefine our perception of beauty. Beauty might be being able to make others smile, being able to lighten up the situation, you might be able to, might be creativity, might be, you know, the way that we can comfort each other, the way that we are happy around babies, the way that we enjoy food. It's not just that one picture of that one beautiful girl that we see constantly or that one beautiful man. And that's not to take away from those people. We just have to expand our thinking from just that to thinking about situations in life where we're purely happy or we're happy in someone else's happiness and how that can be beautiful. Yep. And, and that's the thing about, I think we've taken that word beautiful and we've turned it into something like that's not, doesn't mean the word. It's kind of like how we took the word retarded, right? For mental retardation. And we turned that into something, you know, different and bad. And where it, the word itself wasn't anything, you know, it doesn't mean anything bad. Um, it's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a clinical, you know, diagnosis disease. Um, I, when it comes to beauty, I try telling people this all the time. In fact, I just posted a a video about this and I asked people, what's something beautiful about yourself? The response and the first response I got was, I don't know, maybe I have nice eyes. And I was like, that's not what I meant by beauty. So I clarified and I said, no, 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 no. I mean something about you as a person. I don't mean your physical appearances because that's not how I define beauty. And whenever I speak to uh, all boy high schools, I look them straight in the face and say, you know what? You're beautiful. And to try to change their perspective on what beauty is. Because like you're saying, it's not about, you know, just adapt or, or fitting that one stereotypical view of your, of your having the way you have your body and even the way you act too. You know, you expect to act a certain way, look a certain way. That's not what beauty is. Maybe you could say pretty. Um, but in terms of beauty, yes, I completely agree is look, look at how you act, look at who you are and see the beauty in who you are and what you do. And don't focus on the bad stuff. So thank you so much, uh, Zoe. Could you leave us with something, with, with an action? An action they can take today, like right after this, or maybe a little bit after this, if maybe if they're listening or driving in a car or something. Um, can you leave us with one action that someone can take to improve their mental health? I would say expand your support system in any way that you can. Reach out to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Connect with someone you really enjoy seeing, go out and do something you enjoy. I think that we spend a lot of time doing things that we have to do and doing things that we think others will find appropriate when we don't, and we don't spend enough time thinking about ourselves. So, and it, and that's not to say that, and, that, and that's not to perpetuate the idea of self-care as this box thing, but do something every day that connects you to other people and makes you feel that you matter, whether it's a sport, whether it's an event, whether it's talking to somebody, take the time to reach out to others and allow people to reach out to you. That's great. That's, and that's great because, and the funny thing is that you got into the field you're in, like you are where you are because somebody mentioned it. So like, even, so even if you, even if you're just thinking, oh, I, my mental health's fine, I don't need help, which you do, because everyone does, everyone needs to improve their mental health. Even if you're thinking of that, um, 
it helped her, you know, it helped Zoe find her passion and helped her fall, you know, go where she's meant to be. So thank you so much, Zoe. I'm going to close with this quote that you post on your Instagram. I love your Instagram quotes. I, I just, I absolutely love them. I feel that they're very unique and have, you know, just a good feel to them. Um, but it says, in a society that profits from your self-doubt, liking yourself is a rebellious act. And I love that because that kind of stirred up the, re the rebel within me. Um and wanting, you know, wanting to carve my own path, wanting to be my own person. And I love, I love how that made me feel. I love what it's saying. So message of today, expand your support system, see your beauty and be a rebel by liking yourself. So thank you so much, Joey. It is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. And I will definitely be keep following you on Instagram. Um, for those of you, it's her Instagram is wellness.byzoe, Z-O-E. And um, thank you so much. And I will, will, will keep in touch. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the Psych 101 podcast with my, my, with my guest, Zoe Klein. Um, you can find her, all the links that we talked about, or Instagram and notes on the show notes at the psych101podcast.com. Um, let me know if you have guests that you'd like me to interview. And as always, be unashamed and stay unashamed. <laughs>